0: Welcome back to the United Podcast, the podcast of the official Man United Supporters Club here for, I don't know what to call this, Larry. Is it a post-season review of the, of the last game against Crystal Palace or is it a celebration of Eric Ten Hag's first interview? Because obviously everyone has just watched the, first, well, part one of Eric Ten Hag's first interview and um, I'm sure we're all in love um, with the Dutchman. But um, we all sort of went through an emotional 24 hours uh, watching football in Manchester United and thank God Manchester City finally did the job, but um, talk me through the last 24 hours and obviously the last 24 minutes when the Dutchman finally has spoken.
1: Look, Tom, last season's in the past. I'm someone who likes to look forward. I live in the present. I don't dream, as Eric Tan Hag says. So I'm just going to look forward. I'm going to live in the moment. And in the moment, Eric Tan Hag uh, has gotten me excited. I'm convinced we're going to win the treble, and I'm just going to roll with that.
0: Well, we don't need to win the treble larry because that is ours um some stupid club somewhere that they were talking about it. they weren't even talking about the treble they're talking about a quadruple don't know what they were drinking but um the tr- treble does remain a manchester united, a part of manchester united history but i'd say good day to some legends in the live chat if you are like, tuned in please do leave a like on the video if you are happy that ten Hag has been finally announced and obviously van der garg and steve mcclaren also just announced a little bit before but we'll say good day to a few people dion always good to see you mate um rob as well he got me hook line and sinker welcome eric all the best which is what i said at the start whatever our thoughts are in regards to the glazers and the board as soon as eric ten Hag is there and opens his mouth we fall for it as fans and everyone is the same and rightly so vin good to see you, as always mate justin here from the supporters club fin- just finished watching the interview really excited to see what eric ten Hag can do it all sounds positive and feels like major change is coming and josh as always even though it's never been so relieved that the season is over bring on the tour well, definitely, as we said, Eric Hag. one of his first games will obviously be um, in Melbourne. They've obviously got the game, I think, in Singapore a little bit earlier than that. But um, we will be there for one of his first matches. And um, yeah, absolutely can't wait because told me that 24 hours ago, Larry, or less than 24 hours ago, when Manchester United were stumbling over the finish line of this season. Um, I was not positive, but here he comes. with A few nice words, and that does change the mood. So where do you want to start on this? We will go through one or two things he has spoken about in the interview. But obviously there was a football match and a dramatic end of the Premier League season. Um, where do you want to start, mate?
1: Yeah, focusing on Eric Ten Hag, I think is a good place for us to start because it does look in what's been such a disappointing season, I think all we can do is hope uh, and, and look forward. And in and I think Eric Ten Hag, while a few cliches were in there, I have to say I was highly impressed by his demeanor. He doesn't strike me as someone who's overly exuberant. It looks like someone who acknowledges the mountain he has to climb in terms of the challenges in front of him. Uh, I, I, like the, I like the confidence, Tom. I like the way he presents himself. There's an assure, There's an assuredness about him. If you can think back to when Solskjaer was first interviewed, when he was given the job on an interim basis, very excited, very upbeat, uh, very elegant eleg- eleg- to Uh in, in terms of Ten Hag, though, I think he's... He is past all that. Uh, he, he doesn't. He doesn't really. He's not getting phased by it. I think he's determined. I like that he already said preseason starts twenty seventh of June, much earlier than previous seasons. He acknowledges what he needs to do, uh, and he he spoke about. I'm impressed. He name dropped. Look, it's a it's a small touch. He mentions names like Busby. He mentions names like Charlton. He doesn't have to do that. Mourinho didn't mention those things, but you know he knows what he needs to do. Uh, so I'm excited by that
0: i just seen him mad here. I've taken issue with his pronounci- pronunciation of the word strategy. I didn't hear that one. I'll have to go back. I'll probably watch the interview again a few times. And he obviously does have his press conference a little bit later. But I just want to throw this to you, Larry, as well, which is what I sort of discussed a little bit before we went on air. Hell on wheels here saying proper scripted MUTV interview if there ever was one. But I applaud Eric Ten Hag for his answers. And that is why I am much more looking for what I did like the interview, but I much prefer the press conference where the, he has to face the media because every manager gives a perfect first interview with Man United, absolutely thrown absolute softballs by, and rightly so because it's through the club de- club's media department. But um, do you think you talk about his demeanour there and the way he answered the questions, which I fully agree with, I expect the same, but do you expect the same in regards to when he does face the media and the questions are a little bit more sort of from not left field, but a little bit more um, demanding of him?
1: Uh, I think he might give us a sound bite or two. I wouldn't be surprised. I think... Like I said, there's a confidence about him. But from what I'm seeing, again, just first impressions, but they do last. Guy's got balls. And I don't think he'll be afraid to call out some players. Uh, And I like that, at least even in an MUTV setting, not afraid to say things like, I demand we work hard. We need to to win more than the competitors because they're going to be highly motivated, over-motivated for versing us. We need to be more motivated than them. I think he won't be afraid to call it. And, look, he's going to get asked questions about this season. Obviously, he's going to come out with the cliches. I'm here to focus on next season, last season's in the past, etc. So it will be interesting. Um, we'll see. I definitely will watch the presser with intrigue. But he's about to learn how big this club is real quick, isn't he? And we'll get a good glimpse of that in the presser.
0: Definitely. I like this one from Man needs to come out and say, I'll knock Liverpool off their perch. Um, yeah. That's a way to get a statue outside Old Trafford at the moment. But um, speaking of that, you talk about Eric Hag having a um, fair set of balls on him, Larry. I'll tell you what he does have. He has patience because he sat through 90 minutes of football last night and um, fair play to him because I was here watching on the other side of the world in the comfort of my um, couch and I was watching Manchester City more than Man United for maybe the wrong reasons in terms of I had to make sure Man City got over the line. But there was a football match and we'll discuss the whole Premier League situation in a little bit. But Manchester United, again... I don't know what our score predictions were before them. I'm pretty sure I predicted a loss and sort of predicted a subpar performance, and it's exactly what we got. Not a surprise result-wise or performance-wise. Just um, talk to me because, God, it was such a dramatic day, and now it's a positive spin on the end of the day. But that 90 minutes from Man United was exactly why we are in the position we're in.
1: It was absolutely awful. Um, Defensive performance. Like Again, I'm sick of saying all this. The goal we concede, it's just, that's football fundamentals. It's a winger on a fullback. He beats the fullback. He gets hit the same move he did to Diogo Delo. Zaha does the exact same move to Lindelof. Put the guy on his left foot, please. He, can't, he doesn't even have a left foot. He's the most one-footed player there is, and they both get beaten It's not him.
0: the Look, yes, look, you're completely right in regards to the defensive aspect of that. The issue for the goal with me is Bruno Fernandes, and look, I've played in midfield before, and the worst the worst thing you want as a midfielder, the last thing you want to do is go and collect a throw-in. It, it, it's a horrible feeling because you're going straight towards the ball. You don't know what's behind you, and you, you want to take a touch, but you know, you know you're going to get tackled. You think if I lay the ball back to the thrower, it puts you in a bad position. So I've been in that position so many times, and one of the ball, you always have an out ball, you think if it's a good throw, it comes about knee height or hip height, I can turn a volley over my shoulder to the opposite fullback. And before, I think it might have been Alex Tellez had the throw in. I forget who had the throw in. But as soon as he saw Bruno, I could see Bruno had no option. It was the only option for Bruno. But I could see um, Uzaha, whoever, reading that ball. And before even Bruno saw the throw in come and said, don't play this, Bruno, don't play this, don't play this. The throw comes in, Bruno hooks it over his shoulder. And the rest is history. I kind of laughed when the ball went in because uh, it sort of sums up Bruno Fernandez's form in recent weeks. And he, he obviously comes out. We'll come up to a, a, a social media post he has sort of put out in the last hour. But look, the defense—I thought the defense was woeful, sort of individually, in regards to there was one incident with Victor Lindelöf. who was attacking a corner. He had a free header, and he just refused to jump. It was just an effort. Then the ball came in. And he just no, nah, not for me today, and just didn't jump. And I thought that was really poor for him. I thought the fullbacks defensively struggled. Harry Maguire. I assume, had a poor game. I can't really sort of remember too many instances, but maybe that was off the back of me watching more of the Manchester City game. But, yeah, the, the fault for me was with Bruno Fernandes in regards to that goal. But before we move on to sort of more Premier League issues in Manchester City and Liverpool and sort of tied back into Eric ten Haag, um, any other Manchester United-related issues in regards to the, the pitch?
1: Uh, I mean, Bruno so wasteful in possession. I mean, look, I've come on here and I've been an advocate defender of him uh, and you know, I still will be, because there are there are fans out there who'll tell you sell Bruno Fernandez, which is just absolutely mad to me. Uh, but I think what will be really interesting about Eric Ten Hag is if if you haven't watched Ajax, you know, even if you go YouTube scouting on him, um, high intensity, high press, but they keep the ball and they play from the back. So I'll be really interested. How does he? How does, how does he refine Bruno's game, simplify Bruno's game? Because I think Bruno, if he can learn to have a better pass selection, world-class midfielder.
0: Well, you just want to touch on one more thing from Bruno, but George here brings up every team scored a goal yesterday except us. I didn't see that, but that doesn't surprise me, George. And not only that, but um, zero goal difference. Unbelievable. I don't know whether to celebrate that, that it's not in negative.
1: conceded, Tom.
0: Oh, look, I know, I'm definitely not celebrating it, but thank God it wasn't minus one. But um, it was just as bad, obviously. Um, just on that Bruno point and a bit of news, and look, I don't want to sort of sort of bore everyone with this. I'll get into the 3-2-1s or potential 3-2-1s in a second there, Josh. But in regards to Bruno Fernandez, and you talk about how wasteful he is with the ball, a little bit of news that came out during the week. I don't want to bore everyone with my one matter sort of appreciation. However, it came out that one matter sort of hasn't put a sort of and do his time at Manchester United. and he's willing to have a discussion with Eric Ten Hag. And I made the point here, before Eric Ten Hag was even announced, was going to walk into that dressing room and say, why the hell is this guy walking out the door for free? And why have you been playing him out of position for the last couple of years? Now, I still think putting money on it, they'll have a conversation, and they'll agree that it's best for both parties to move on. However, when Eric Ten Hag is watching that at Selhurst Park, and he sees that wastefulness from Bruno Fernandes in the number 10 area, and he sees one matter how carefully he is with the ball, Talk to me. Am I clinging to a little bit or?
1: Let it go, Tom. I mean, I, look, I I like Juan Mata, but I think under this new direction, we simply need to move on. Juan Mata shouldn't be part of a rebuild. He should be going enjoying his football. And
0: but We're in like the Europa move. League. Yeah. You look at the players we're leaving. Mason Greenwood's not <laughs> going to be there. Edison Cavani's not going to be there. Jesse Lingard, Paul Pogba, Anthony Martial. We don't know what's going to happen with Donny van der Beek. Obviously, he's going to come back, but what position does he take up? I'm just thinking in this rebuild, you you need players in the Europa League. We're not going to sign all all the rumours at the moment of fullbacks, centre-backs, centre-defensive midfielders, strikers. We're not buying any sort of attacking midfielders. And if Bruno Fernandes isn't the answer, it's all well and good. Who are we going to play? Shortero, is he going to be the next number 10 for Man United? Is Hannibal going to be the next number 10? Look, And I I sit here and agree, it's best for both parties to move on. However, as a manager, Eric Ten Hag walking in there, he's going to cling on to what he can.
1: I'd say give some of those kids a chance. I mean, we saw um, Mabry play today. He's not a winger. He's a midfielder. So, you know, if you're talking about Europa League and rotation, I mean, we're only going to see how good these kids are if they get a genuine opportunity in the first team. You and I are both fans of Dylan Leavitt, who keeps the ball well. Debut game in Europe, I don't care against what opposition, in the Europa League, completes 100 passes. Get out of here, mate. You know what I mean? I just think... James Garner's proven himself this season, like proven himself as much as he possibly could do. He's two years on the run uh, in the championship. So I don't think we just have to purely look at signings coming in. I think you can look within the club and give some of these kids an opportunity. For me, Mabry, Garner, maybe Levitt just in the bracket below that. I think at least those two players can definitely have a shout in terms of midfield.
0: Well, it'll be interesting. um, Definitely just on that 3-2-1s. I don't think it's worth it. I just looked at the, the ladder in regards to 3-2-1s. It's not going to change anything. I think one potential player, may, someone might go from 6th to 5th. It's not going to change anything at the top end of the table. So just off the back of things, we're not going to award any 3-2-1s or are you desperate to throw some points out there?
1: I mean, it's very uninspiring performance. To be really? fair, I watch
0: more of Manchester City than the United game, to be fair.
1: Look, if United cancelled their awards night, then, as far as I'm concerned, 3 two, ones isn't on today. Can we actually talk about, though, seriously, just as a neutral, bloody scintillating, watching the title drama. It really was. It really was. And Manchester City, three goals in eight minutes, was it? Phenomenal. Gerard lets it slip twice.
0: Well, the, 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 I'll put that on Twitter. It's one thing. Look, there's no doubt and there's no hiding from the position we're in on and off the pitch. We have no right. Well, we do have a right, but we have no right, really, to be laughing at oppositions. We have to look in our own backyard. But I will take great joy, Larry, in knowing deep down in my heart that Stephen Gerrard has cost Liverpool two Premier League titles. Like that, that that fills me with absolute joy knowing that he let it slip. After he made it about himself, because there's this narrative around Steven Gerrard that this is one club man. There's one club man who played for LA Galaxy as well, by the way. He d- didn't just play for Liverpool. That it's, He's always put the team ahead of him. But he, that h- that huddle the week before he slipped wasn't about the team. That was about him seeing the cameras and being, being good old sort of Stevie Me, letting it slip a week later, And then being 2-0 up against Manchester City, and letting it slip when he take Philip Coutinho off after he put them 2-0 up, takes Coutinho off and um, just sort of says, okay, I'll park the bus. Why are well, you going to park the bus against Manchester City who are throwing the absolute kitchen sink at you when you can pick them off on the break? And um, Well, that's my bit of a Stephen Gerrard rant, but as you say, what a 90 minutes it was because Wolves did their part to sort of spoil the party early on. They take yeah. the lead. Aston Villa go 2-0 up. It looks like Liverpool eventually knock that door down and they get back into the lead. And um, look, it doesn't trump that Aguero moment for them. I don't think it does. Well, obviously it doesn't but my god it run it close and you never thought you'd sort of run that close again if you're a city fan
1: I got to be honest watching uh watching Liv- uh, sorry watching city uh, secure the comeback and you see the euphoria that their fans are in you can't tell me it doesn't fill you with envy it, it honestly like I miss that feeling I haven't felt that sort of high watching united since the Europa League final you and I were together at the star that night um and, and the Liverpool players were actually in the other room, if you remember. Yeah,
0: to be fair, yes. Yeah. Stephen and Gerrard came down to the scene. They were obviously playing in Sydney the night before. And um, they had a section sort of put aside for Liverpool players because they were obviously jet lagged. So they were going to be up at 4 or 5 in the morning. And they came down, wanted to watch the match. And Gerrard got told, go quickly back upstairs because there's too many Man United fans. So that was a great morning. And um, just on that, because... I don't know what to make of it. Okay, it, it's better than the Aguero. It's not as good as the Aguero moment for them. But in regards to the way they... I don't know what the word is. that The title was over. Liverpool had won it. When Coutinho put that ball in, the City players spoke about it. Pep Guardiola's facial expression showed it. That was the title over. Liverpool had... I know Liverpool were drawing at the time, but Liverpool need one goal to win the title. Manchester City win needed three. And look, I don't want to give Manchester City any credit, but my God, they bloody deserve it.
1: Yeah, they do. They, do. I mean, they epitomize what Manchester United were for such a large period under Sir Alex Ferguson. Never giving up. The second the team, your opposition backs off a little bit, that you give us a sniff and they pounce. They're everything that United used to be, mate. It's honestly so upsetting to see. Can I say on the positive of Eric Ten Hag? He reeks of being a nerd. He really does. I don't know if you got that vibe watching him. He's just he's the biggest nerd out there and he dead-set looks to me the prototype of a Pep Guardiola, uh, a Pep Guardiola, a carbon copy. He just seems to Those seems obviously to work really, together. Yeah, of course they did at Bayern Munich, um, and he was under Pep's um, tutelage. But you can see in the way he plays, you can see it in his philosophy, the way he's already speaking about a demand, certain, setting high demands of his players. Everything Pep Guardiola would say. Um, so it'll be really interesting to watch the Bolchester derby next season uh, to see who it comes out on top.
0: Well, Dion, he's saying they deserve credit for cooking their books. That's about it. Well, yes, look, that is Manchester City. And look, I think that is why Man United fans are not so happy that City won it. But at the end of the day, it's yesterday's news tomorrow, like, you won't even see a photo of Manchester City lifting a trophy. That's why Man United have put that interview out with Eric Ten Hag today. That'll dominate the headlines. You won't see any articles about City win the league. It will be about Eric Ten Hag, and that is the good thing about City winning the title—that it is yesterday's news. Um, if Liverpool won it, obviously that would dominate the headlines. But do you know any City fans, Larry? Like, I genuinely don't. So it doesn't doesn't one. bother my <laughs> it doesn't bother my day to day business sort of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know one, and that's the thing, like. It's so interesting that they have poured over a billion dollars into that team and – sorry, a billion pounds. What am I talking about? They've poured over a billion pounds over about 15 years' span and despite all of that, their fan base, it's just not – it's just not there. You You can't manufacture fans. You can't manufacture emotion. And that's the biggest thing. I think people globally fell in love with Manchester United because they stood for something. You can't manufacture that. And that's the thing. No matter how – if Manchester City in 50 years from now proved to be the most successful team in English history, it just won't feel the same because at the foundation of it, it's dirty oil money and it's sports washing. And people people don't give a shit about that. That's just the reality of it.
0: Look, I completely agree, but we are here. Um, enough Manchester City talk. Congratulations for saving football, and thank you. But um, hopefully, it is the red half of Manchester hey, lift Can them. we
1: please? Can I talk to you about Mbappe? It's just, I find it very interesting as a football fan. I'm not. I'm just. We're talking about oil money and corruption, and and the beauty of sport and football heritage. That deal that Mbappe has signed is not not signing? Like for me, he dead set sold his soul to the devil. He's basically rubber-stamped, I don't care about my football legacy anymore because I'm going to get paid a shitload of money.
0: Yes, but he would say, um, and look, even if he went to Real Madrid, even if he went to play in the J-League or the Scottish League, it'd be set for future generations. I understand that. But at that level, if you can get more money. Why not take it? And I agree with it 100%, and it's a sad day for football because he could have gone to one of the great clubs in football and become one of the best players in the world now. That's not a possibility doing that in France. But um, I I can't sit here and say don't take that money if it's offered to you. If someone is going to offer you that money, I, I, I I will be critical, but deep down who am I to be critical of that?
1: No, not for me. I, I seriously, like, I'm, I'm truthfully, if I imagine myself, it, and because the thing is, there has to be like, you're earning that much money anyway.
0: That, that's the That's part yeah, of the argument. You get what yes. I
1: mean? Like, you will be wealthy no matter what you do. Yeah. Is that extra hundred million really going to change anything else you do with the rest of your yeah. life? It's not like the, he's like, it's an Elon Musk situation. He can buy eat everything he wants every day for the rest of his life and he'll still have plenty left over. That, that's, that's the issue for me. It wasn't life defining life changing some amounts of money. Like he had an opportunity to secure his legacy to legitimately, I mean, you and I, I mean, the argument now is about Harland and Mbappe who goes yes. on to be the world's best And I'm going to throw Pedri in that conversation from Barcelona. I love him. I think he's absolutely brilliant and has the potential to be in that conversation. But he's, for me, he has removed himself from that argument because he's going to be 27 years of age, playing in the Farmers League, probably still chasing the Champions League, and everyone will, no matter what he'll say, there'll always be an asterisk next to his name.
0: Yeah, no, look, there is from a football point of view, it's definitely a sad thing because look, we sit here and say Manchester United is the biggest club in the world, which I agree with. But ultimately, if you're a Real Madrid fan or you have the argument that Real Madrid is, I'm not going to argue really. Real Madrid is up there with Manchester United, and if they are bigger, they are bigger. So to turn down that for a couple extra million pounds when you're already going to be earning too many millions, um, it is a sad day for football, but it is what it is. And just sort of bringing it back to Manchester United and the football. A little bit earlier, Helen Wills here saying if Bruno is the answer, then Donny will get a rebirth under Eric Donny van der Beek did score a goal for Everton from memory from the highlights I did see last night. Um, just bringing it back into that Bruno Fernandez debate a little bit as we sort of tie it back into 10 Hard's interview.
1: That's another Donny one, van- You're saying when Mata doesn't play, van der Beek.
0: Yeah, well, okay, first game next season. Um, both are fit, both had sort of adequate pre-seasons. Who plays in the... I would think from what I've seen from Eric Ten Hag, it will be, I think a lot of us have it in our mind, it will be a 4-3-3. Three, three, three. In my opinion, it's kind of a 4-2-3-1. I think there will be a 10. Donny van der Beek or Bruno Fernandes in Eric Ten Hag's eyes?
1: I think both. Uh, if you actually... Um, Donny Donny played both under Ten Hag, and if you think of their successful run uh, in, the, in the Champions League, I, I recall Donny actually playing like an 8 position, so... Uh, I, I I could definitely make an argument for both. I think Donny if you ask me what's Donny Van de Beek's best position, I actually think he is an eight. Uh I, I don't I, I don't think I don't think he's a ten in the Premier League. I think the Premier League's just uh and not got maybe he's adapted in his time at Everton, uh but even at Everton he is playing an eight. Uh I just I think the way Donny plays, it isn't he's not the most physical player. And I know Bruno isn't either, but I think Bruno handles the physicality of football better. So I think Donnie's eight if you're talking about English football. So I could definitely make an argument for both. And I just, if I, I'm so critical, how much did our play break down every time Fred got the ball yesterday? I just think. Well, d- need- d- d- Dion's
0: just trying to question here. What do you think of, what, what do you think he made well, about Fred yesterday?
1: They're woeful, a lot of them, seriously, both of them.
0: It's one of those ones where the positions and the, I would say not the instruction they're given, but the roles they're both given. Uh, where they're given individually or they're given sort of as a pairing. I think that is something I really point and look they have to take responsibility. When they get the ball, it's their decision on the ball. But that is where I do look at. We criticise Ralph Frank and his sort of ability as a manager when he came in. And I'm just thinking that is where I... the, the instruction they'll give, they weren't put in a position to play to their strengths. And Rob here saying, "McShit," which is what, what they do when they, <laughs> they play together. But in regards to a lot of people, have Fred as our second best player this season behind De Gea and Ronaldo. And I'm just no. thinking. No, no, I don't have that there, but our 3 two, ones would potentially suggest that. And I'm just thinking they're not given, I would say, the platform to perform well because I don't know, they, they, they have been paired together as this McFred pairing sort of thing, but it is not working. And one of them even, I think needs to be sacrificed.
1: We've seen both of them next to Matic at times this season, and even when they've been paired with Madic, they both look poor. And that's the problem. I think if you if you isolate them both, if you look at each player individually as an eight, I, I look for me, it's interesting. I would tell you Fred's better, but I would opt for McTominay because I think while Fred might get you an assist or a goal or create something, he's equally more as likely to help you concede something at the back. So I would probably go for McTominay, while not as creative. There's a just a, there's a trust uh, more of a trust I suppose, but again so limited on the ball the the pair of them. I just think I said this to you, um, and I'm I'm keen to see what you think. I wouldn't put either. Uh, there should never, unless there's an emergency situation in midfield, those two players shouldn't play together again. Shouldn't happen.
0: Well, we've said that for a player the last year. Every time we have a they play together in midfield and we lose again, we say that's the end of McFred, We can't do it anymore. But ultimately, you go back to that trust um statement you just brought up managers have to trust them and wrongly so because that's a lack of investment we have in midfield our best midfielder is going to juventus for free sort of then the other one is retiring and going back to serbia because of the issues um our club find themselves off the field we do have to rely on freder mctominay because we've all sat here and we said okay paul Pogba, scott mctominay who's the better player obviously scott mctominay and you obviously as a big critic of scott mctominay have sat here and agreed with me give one of them a contract who are you giving the contract to you give it to scott mctominay and that's off the back of sort of poor decisions and the position we're currently in because we just had bruno fernandez put a post out saying look i'll take responsibility i've been poor this season and the team's been poor this season and a lot of us if harry Maguire did that would, would criticize that statement but if Bruno Fernandes puts that statement out, we sort of praise him and think, yes, well, because he gives his all, that's all we can ask for as a fan. What, regardless of the quality, all we can ask for is the effort. And Fred and Freda McTominay do give that effort, and ultimately, that's not enough to sort of be successful. Which is the next thing we demand as Man United fans. But um, they're the they're not the answer, but they're the only answer the manager has at the moment because he can't trust Pogba, he can't trust Nemanja Matic. Who else are you going to play in midfield? I'm generally – Donny van der Beek is on loan. So they've been yeah, put in a position yeah. to, to play a role which they shouldn't be playing at this level. We both sit here and I sit here as one of Scott McTominay's biggest defenders I will sit here and 100% agree he should be first – he shouldn't be starting for Manchester United. For Scott McTominay to have a great Manchester United career, it should be on the bench. However, at the moment, I'm demanding him to start because what I'm seeing from other people in the starting lineup in different positions on the pitch – they're not given. They're not giving their all, and I think Scott McTominay does that. That is why I do defend him. But ultimately, if we get everything right on and off the pitch, so that would put Scott McTominay or a Fred, whoever you sort of rank higher, as a squad player, and that is where Manchester United need to be, not relying well, on those two.
1: Put an Eric Ten Hag lens on this. Uh, obviously, a very technical coach, uh, someone who really values possession and retaining the ball and being very tactical in terms of how the ball is used in, uh, in the pitch and in different zones of the pitch. Heck, how do you see either of those players fitting into an Eric Ten Hag system? That's where the intrigue is for me because the, the biggest now, you know, you, I can I can hear it. I understand it. I can understand a United fan saying, get rid of Harry Maguire. I understand that. I can see United fans saying, get rid of Marcus Rashford. I understand that. Bruno Fernandes, I understand that, given this season. But Bruno's got the ability. Rashford on his day, we've seen it get done. Fred and McTominay, two great, like two great, uh, like, massive, glaring holes in our midfield. And I think of Ten Hag football, this guy has had Frankie de Jong at his disposal. He's had the luxury of seeing the likes of Kimmich at Bayern Munich. He's had the, the luxury of seeing players like uh, Thomas Muller. Uh, he's had the luxury of... Um, DeLitt, who even as a defender, brilliant on the ball. Donny van de Beek, who despite his inconsistencies in the Premier League, very technical player. How does he look at a friend of McTominay and, and trust them next season? Because You now trust we're- them.
0: Yeah. You trust them as that squad player. Because what, what it is, we have an issue now because we're seeing them every single week and as a starting and almost the main two midfielders, we're seeing all their deficiencies in, in their sort of ability on the ball. We see it every single week. However... If they're that one squad player, if everyone else is a De Jong or a Pogba and every other player in that midfield is world-class, and the one time you need to bring in that squad player for a League Cup game or an FA Cup or Bruno Fernandes' engine, you bring Scott McTominay or a Fred in for one game here or there, or you have to bring them off the bench at, at half time and have world-class quality around them and it, the system is working around, they can fit in. They can fit in and do a job. And suddenly when their limitations aren't really highlighted as much as when you're depending on them, to be our best midfielder. But when they come in for half an hour or they come in for an FA Cup match against Middlesbrough, they can fit they can fit in. Okay. Dion can provide the quality of McTominay or Fred can get it. They can pass it two yards to the, the quality number 10. But at the moment, we're demanding these two limited players to be our two starting midfielders. And that is Yeah, we can be critical because it's not good enough. But ultimately the club need to be better by providing the manager with better midfielders.
1: All right, in principle, I agree with you. But if you think of the type of... All right, so we're saying Eric Ten Hag is a disciple of Pep Guardiola, right? If that's the case, I look at Pep Guardiola's midfields throughout his whole career. Xavi, Iniesta, uh, who else has he had? Schweinsteiger, all Kimmich, all these brilliant midfielders, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Yaya Torre, all these brilliant technical players. Lionel Messi, and then he has Fred and McTominay. I just, I don't know if I can you, even.
0: You're, you're talking about that. and it. look, I look, I completely agree. But we have to, like Eric Ten said, he says, you have, we have to accept the position we are in. And we have to accept the position we're in. You talked about these clubs who were challenging for Champions League titles. We are here on the last day we're challenging to get out of the Conference League to make a Europa League spot. That's the reality of the situation. So tomorrow, we have to deal with having Scott McTominay and Fred in the team. And so the, the manager has to deal with that situation. He's not in a situation where dealing with Xavi, Iniesta, Pedri, Lionel, Messi, Bashan, Schweinsteiger, Kimmich. That, that, that's not the job at the moment. The job now for the manager until he's provided with better tools, is to get the best out of this because it's one of the ones you can't run before you can walk.
1: Do you think he's going to laugh at me? We've got 79 people in here. Guys, make sure you're hitting a like on the video and, and get your opinions in on this because I think there's this might strike a bit of controversy. I could honestly see he looks at someone like Andreas Pereira. He's going to see him score a weldy in training back on loan from, from Flamingo. And he's going to be like, you know what? I might have something to work with here because he's a technical footballer, and he might think I might be the I might be the manager to trust this guy. I might be the one to. He's got the ability. Can I can I get his brain ticking the right way?
0: It, it's what it came back to in terms of we're all sitting here saying we're going to sell ten players or ten players are going to leave, and that all of us are saying, well, okay, we're going to bring ten players in. But that's where I go back to say, well, that's simply not going to happen. One, for the budget, we're not going to have enough budget to bring in 10 players, so you de- do need to look within the squad, and that is where I look, bias aside, and I understand it's probably the wrong decision, but that is where well, one matter is already a player, let's keep him around. But that is where you do have to look to the youth system, and a lot of us are looking to that youth system. Obviously, Charlie Savage was on the bench, but also one of the things is players on loan, and he's a forgotten man on loan, whether that be Anthony Martial as well, severe his situation when he comes back. But the big one there, you obviously do mention, in Andres Pereira, I make the case on here all the time, as a footballer, ability-wise, I've gone and watched him a few times live as well. He you know, played out in Australia a few times. Unbelievable, not unbelievable footballer, but quality footballer. Really good footballer. Just his brain um, doesn't quite work. Now can Eric Ten Hag train <laughs> that brain in a short um, space of time to make him sort of contribute positively to Manchester United? That is a different debate, but um, that is where... You do, as fans, and obviously the manager has to do it in a different context, but as fans, I think we do have to give everyone a clean slate in terms of performing under this new manager. Now, I think some of these players probably don't deserve a clean, slate, a clean slate moving forward, not off the back of the performances, but off the back of the effort. I think that is where I really question. I don't want to bring it back into here in regards to Marcus Rashford. However, I am giving Marcus Rashford one more chance, but ultimately off the back of his effort, which is all we demand as fans, that hasn't been there. And if it isn't there, as, if the effort isn't there, I really shouldn't be giving him a chance. But I find it myself because I do, deep down, do like Marcus Rashford. I will give him that chance. But that is where a McTominay who's potentially not good enough for Man United in terms of starting spot. Fred who's not good enough. Andres Pereira who's not good enough. Anthony Alango, who's not good enough. Um, whoever you want to go, Diego Delo's is not good enough. Alex Teller's is not good enough. Ultimately, my opinion, you do have to give them a clean slate under this new manager.
1: Oh, Alex Tellez, well pass a clean slate for me. He should be one of the first names out the door. He honestly should, like if we're being serious. Did you see his uh, his social media post, post-match? Alex Tellez, he's like, oh, I was no, reflecting on whether this was a good season or not. What is there to reflect on, mate? It's been shit and you've been shit too. And then he's like, oh, I'm so happy to hit 50 games for this club. Mate, it's 50 and you're going to stop and finish there, please, the door.
0: I think um, Eric Ten Hag likes Alex Tellez more than he does Luke Shaw. Oh,
1: I'm not, I'm not, I don't think so. Man, Tellez is awful. He's I think he's awful. better
0: than Luke Shaw. Well, but, or, no, not better, it depends who's playing better. It's the old Andres Pereira debate. But um, I, I think Eric Ten Hag will see a little bit more in um, Alex Tellez than Luke Shaw. But time will tell. And obviously, preseason, obviously the last couple of preseasons, in my opinion, have been quite boring in terms, well, every preseason is boring in terms of the football. But it's the same old story, okay? We're, do whatever, but this one maybe it's because it's on our back door uh, on our back door here in um, Australia. We're well, obviously present for a bit of the pre season, but obviously with this buzz and excitement going on, um, I'm never excited for pre season matches. But I do find myself um, looking forward to the sort of I don't know what to call it the journey sort of starting. But um, there is a buzz, and I sort of started this a couple of weeks ago saying I'm not excited. I think ultimately Eric Ten Hag will fail because he'll run into the same hurdles every other manager has faced. At Manchester United, but I said oh, the moment great. he, but I said the moment he does his first interview, I'll be falling in love, and I'll say we're going to win the Champions League, even though we're not in the bloody Champions League. And ultimately, I have fallen victim to that. I fell in love with the words that he has said, and obviously his press conference will be out soon, and um, I'm sure we win a title 21 and sort of add into our um, treble. But <laughs> it's an emotional 24 hours for me, you know, roller coaster of emotions. That's for sure.
1: All right, Tom. We're obviously going to be in Melbourne. I want you to tell me you. We're at Crown Casino. You and Ten Hag have a moment. What happens? D- do you make eye contact? Do you rub heads? Can you just how do bold people react around each other? Is there well, like a show my...
0: I'm sure he will not, not, well, not just be rubbing heads with him, but obviously the assistant manager, uh, or is he the assistant coach, um, Van der or forget his name? Yeah, Mitchell name? Van de Gaag, yeah. Mitchell Van de What do you think of this flag, though? I've redone the flag. This will be flying high in Melbourne. I'll just get it up here. What do we think of this one?
1: Oh, I like it. I like it.
0: So when Eric, Eric Ten Hag sees that, Huggs he'll probably come. He'll probably come running to me rather than me going running to him. I think.
1: Yeah, you know the Kiwis. Uh, for those who aren't from New Zealand, um, you know how the Kiwis go nose to nose. I wonder if, if Baldies go head to head. Can you if, can all? you do that for me? If we're in Melbourne and we get a moment with Ten Hag, um, you know we're, we're hopeful of hoping getting some access. I want you to, I want you to please just get, let me get that intimate, bold, beautiful moment.
0: As long as it's not a Billy Sharp style headbutt in regards to what happened at Sheffield United the other day, I'll, I'll be a little yeah. bit more gentle. But obviously, there was another incident at Manchester City. Um, not as violent in regards to as the um, Patrick Vieira or Billy Sharp incident, but obviously, the Manchester City fans did run onto the field and, um, did make one or two bits of contact with the Aston Villa goalkeeper. And that's sort of, I don't want to bring that back into it. We we'll obviously stay on the Eric Ten Hag train at the moment. But um, what do you make of that? Because it's starting to, the way Sky are reporting it, they're start, starting to sort of say this is a real, and it is, but it's sort of starting to creep into the game now um, in terms of these pitch invasions and potential sort of dangerous situations for the players.
1: Um, I don't know. it's a, It's a tricky one, you know. I'm not. I don't really think I read too much into it. I I don't have fans running onto the pitch has been happening for years. If you follow the championship, anytime a team's getting promoted, it's the first thing the fans do. They're running onto the pitch. It hasn't really been seen in the Premier League, and that's what's been happening as of late for sure. I mean, it's a really difficult one, you know, because I think of the Everton fans. Obviously, you're thinking you're going to be going down. You're probably having those nights in bed where you're starting to process it, and then suddenly you're safe. And sometimes emotion kicks in and there's a a beauty to that. You know, I think we saw it here in Australia in the AFL. Uh, I can't recall which player it was, Sydney Swans. All the fans ran on and uh, threw the the player on their shoulders and they kind of did a big parade with him and, and he lapped it up. And I think that there's a beauty of, because the thing, the problem I have with football at the moment, particularly in England, these big clubs are so disconnected from the fans, you know? And I just think if you have an opportunity to do that in the right way and a safe way, which I know is so difficult when you're talking about tens of thousands of people, literally, but if there's a way to do it safely, I'm all for it because the euphoric scenes and, and the moment for the fan. Like, imagine if United, you're there when United win the 21st, given the, the drought we've experienced over the last nine years. I could imagine Old Trafford being invaded by the fans. It'd be beautiful if it's safe, mm. of course.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, look, it's definitely a debate to be had um, in future episodes, but... Um... Jabalani here saying they need to play a um, player trade between Nkuku and um, Bruno Fernandes, which I'm sure we'll be doing plenty of transfer shows in the coming days. It does look like this timber deal is potentially one that could get over the line. Um, Adam here from Sydney saying any news on current or ex-player meetups when we do go to Melbourne? Um, nothing confirmed yet, but um, we are working hard. So if you are travelling down to Melbourne and you are from Sydney, if you want to join the Man United Supporters Club of New South Wales, the link is in the description below. Um, we'll obviously be doing plenty of sort of meetups. Um, hopefully, a big one with a couple of ex-legends. Ex- we obviously don't know which ones are going to come out at the moment, but you assume it's your sort of yeah, Andy Cole and Brian Robson, Dennis Irwin sort of things. Which is always a great night. Larry and I will obviously be there. We'll be there obviously with a few guys from Stratford Paddock as well. They're making their the trip out. And um, just before we wrap up, if you are in the live chat, as I said, please do leave a like on the video. That'd be great. If you could subscribe. If you knew, that would make Larry and I very happy. And if you do have any just sort of one or two questions to wrap up the podcast, throw them in the live chat and we'll answer them before we do wrap up. But, Larry, on that, any football or anything back on Ten Hag in regards to the interview? Um, it was over an hour ago. Any sort of sound bites? Obviously, there will be maybe one or two more in the press conference. But any other sort of statements or words that spring to mind in regards to what he said?
1: Uh, maybe this is just the nerd in me. Uh, what will be interesting? I uh, know Adam Stephen is not coming on tour. Mm. Um what will be interesting to me will be he really spoke about the psychology a little bit. He, he, the, the part that I really, I guess, got embedded into was he mentioned...
0: Larry's breaking up there, and he just brought up a point, so I'll just kick Larry out, and if you can come back in, but we're just about to wrap up anyway, So, or you might be back with us, Larry. I'll just remove you or just kick yourself out and um, come back in when you're good. But one thing he did bring up there in regards to the psychology... I go back to the start of the season and there was the issue when, or the excitement when Rafael Varane came onto the pitch, how excited that was. Uh, we smashed leads. Um, Bruno Fernandes scored a hat trick. The next day we signed Cristiano Ronaldo, or the next couple of weeks we signed Cristiano Ronaldo. Such a buzz. thing. we're near the top of the table. All this excitement going forward. And then you fast forward to the end of the season. Larry, if you're still with us, your pitch is a little bit grainy, but hopefully you can hear me. You fast forward to the end of the season And the position we find ourselves in, in regards to Chris Armas is on the bench with his AirPods in, he's not listening to anyone in a director's box or high up in the grandstand. He's listening to Ralph Rangis' mate who lives in Russia, getting tactical advice during the game from a guy who lives in Russia. And I'm just thinking, if you would have said that at the start of the season, when Rafael Varane was holding the shirt in the center circle, that our assistant manager would be talking on the phone to a guy in Russia during matches, um, an American talking to a German in Russia, I would never would have picked that. He does look like he has frozen, Larry. But it's, it's just about time we do wrap up anyway. But um, so thank you, Larry, for joining us. I really enjoyed that chat as always, and obviously everyone in the live chat, we do appreciate all the interaction. Um, obviously as I said, very emotional day for Manchester. United. Obviously the poor football, but Manchester City saving it for us in regards to us sort of remaining or, or keeping our treble over Liverpool. That was good. Obviously we do hope Real Madrid to sort of get the job done and this greatest ever Liverpool side finishes the, the league with the League Cup and FA Cup uh, with no sort of proper trophy. Uh, fingers crossed that is the case. But, um, yeah, we can only look forward. Obviously, the Eric Ten Hag interview is good. His press conference, I'm assuming, will be done shortly and obviously part two of that interview. Um, give Larry one more chance to say goodbye to our listeners. Are you there, mate?
1: Yeah, can we hear me?
0: He's good. He's good. He's he's returned for the goodbye.
1: Oh, I'm alive and well. Uh To echo Tom's thoughts, we're down to 1,000 subscribers and make.
0: And he's failed in that goodbye. Um, Hopefully, it's not just my end, but um, he has sort of cut out a little bit. But um, I'm sure I echo his thoughts of um, sort of very much appreciating everyone joining us. As said, please do leave a like on the video if you are happy Eric Ten Hag has taken over. Also, smash a like if you are happy that the season has finished, because I'm definitely happy. I am definitely happy that the season is over and we can look forward. Um, If you are new, please subscribe. And Larry and I will be back, uh, what's today, Monday. We'll be back uh, probably the next day or two when a bit of transfer news breaks probably. Um, Hopefully, maybe it's the Timber news. But until then, um, everyone have a good couple of days and we'll chat to you when we chat to you. Cheers.